Hey, a couple of things that have gone on. I'm sure you've been tracking and following uh, the reports, but the uh, mudslide up in Oso and what that's done. We will have a place uh, where you can channel funds if you want to. Uh, we'll have that for next week. So we'll get that together. But we will pray for that this morning. I'm sure uh, there's people in our congregations that have relationships connected to that. And uh, Rob, who's on USEF, actually went up and headed up there after this service. So there's uh, a, a bunch of connects there. And that is just a, a pretty significant catastrophe. So we'll, we'll track with that. Uh, I want to let you know that there will be a response time this morning at the end of the service. Um, we will have an old-fashioned altar call. All right. And the purpose behind that is that the gospel fits in really well with this message this morning. And we said that when we have opportunity for him, we will do it. And so this morning we will do it. And so there's three things that you could come up for. One is uh, salvation. If what we're talking about connects with you and makes sense and the Lord's been having a conversation with you, you may want to come up. We'll have people scattered around the front of the stage. The second thing is uh, you may just be skidding sideways in your walk and you've tried and you just can't seem to rein it in and it seems to be sliding farther in the ditch. If you're in that place and you want to come up and pray with someone, we'll be glad to do that as well. And then the third thing is that uh, you might be in the place where um, you just have a burdening prayer, uh, something that is heavy on your heart and uh, you just need to pray with somebody about it. All right. So those three things uh, at the end of the service, I want to give you a heads up on that. And uh, if nobody comes up, it's not the end of the world. It's a, it's not a have to, it's a get to. All right. So we want to provide opportunities and I wanted to make you aware of that. So let's pray this morning and then we'll get started. Fathers, we come this morning. We stand uh, very close to uh, where a, a real disaster has occurred. And many of us know people up there and also, and many of us have relationships with them. And uh, Lord, uh, boy, in a blink of an eye. And uh, that's a good Good warning to us to be ready and walking because we do not know the time of uh, or the hour of our death. And uh, Lord, we seek you for that this morning as we contemplate what you've woven into the Old Testament, your feast, the Passover and those kind of pictures. And we seek you for that. And Lord, uh, may it make sense um, how intimately you have woven all that stuff together and how we need to be paying attention. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. Um, I want to give you some resources as we start this morning. Uh, I am not out of a messianic background, but uh, a couple of guys that are. Pastor Mark Blitz, El Shaddai Ministries. He has, if you're curious after this morning and you want to know more, he has a whole series of uh, CDs that you can download and listen to. Uh, just fasting. It's a great guy. Uh, he's got a book out too called The Blood Moons. And you're probably going to hear a lot about that. Uh, in the next couple months. John Hagee's got a book. I saw like three or four other books. Mark's got a book out called The Blood Moons. But it has to do with the uh, alignment and what's called a blood moon that hasn't happened for a long time. And, and you'll hear a lot about that in prophetic circles. So if you want to take that further and read further, you can look at that. And then another person is uh, Pastor Matt Rosenberg uh, of Bet Messiah Messianic Synagogue, which is over in the Shoreline area, and a number of our people are connected with him, a great guy. And if you want to know more, you can look up their website as well. So if you want to take this farther and look into the feast, I'm not going to cover everything this morning, but I hope what I cover will be helpful for us as we head towards Easter. And think about the, the significant place where we are in history. 
All right, and kind of the, some of the stuff we say rolling out. I think it's a time we said last week, uh, we looked at the banner behind and said that is the, the most central, important, valuable, and contested piece of real estate on the planet. And all things will circle back to Jerusalem. And so we have to keep an eye out and be watching and looking for what's going to play out next. Um, <clears throat> when God rolled out, rolled out a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament, a lot of the stuff that he rolled out were what we would call dress rehearsals. And we're familiar with dress rehearsals. We do them all the time. If, if you have someone in your family getting married, right? If, if you're getting married or you have a son or daughter getting married, you go through dress rehearsals, right? Uh, <clears throat> this time of year at school, there's all kinds of dress rehearsals. Uh, this week, my wife and my daughter went to a play, which was a dress rehearsal. Because the idea there is we're called to something important and we want to make sure we get it right. Right? We want to make sure we hit it right because you don't get a second chance. And so <clears throat> that's what we're going to be looking at today and what God wove into uh, the Passover and the festivals uh, in the Old Testament. So I want to start in Leviticus 23. You can turn there. It's up on your board. If you're looking there in your Bible or your Kindle or your phone or whatever you're flashing up and wiring up to get ready to go here this morning. Turn there if you would. You'll see that that is the chapter in Leviticus where God rolls out the festivals and he begins that chapter this way. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you may proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Now, when we think of these feasts, we think of them as Jewish feasts. And they are. Um, they are Jewish feasts. But notice the wording in the first two verses. First, it says uh, it's a holy convocation. Okay? It says you are, these are appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. And the idea here, when you think of a feast, what do you think of? Food, right? That's a whole part of a feast, have, have some food, right? Well, and it has that, but there's more to it. There there's also carries the idea of a solemn appointment. The idea that um, you are to meet with me in a solemn way. So we would understand this, for example, go back to the wedding illustration. Um, weddings are great feasts, aren't they? And they're fun, and you plan that part of it, and you have the food and the cake and all that kind of stuff. But before you do all that, before you do the feasting, what do you do? You have a, 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 a holy convocation, right? Two people get together and they commit to each other and they say some of the most precious words that can be said on this planet to another human being. And we call that part the holy part. That's the holy convocation that it's meeting. And in that, uh, Mark Blitz points out when he's talking about this, he says, you know, it's kind of important that you both know you're supposed to show up. Right? If you have a wedding and only the guy shows up, that's not a good thing, right? You have a wedding, and the girls, they're waiting at the altar, and the guy goes, what time was that again? That's not going to go over well, right? You have to be synchronized on that, and the idea is that you both know it's important, you both know it's holy, and you both show up at the same time. So that's the first one. And then the second thing, notice the wording it says in there, these are my appointed feasts. These are not something that the Jews gave to the world. This is something that God gave to the Jewish nation, Israel. And so when he's talking about these feasts, uh, and I've heard people say before, well, why would I pay attention to a Jewish feast? I, I think we forget that these feasts were appointed by the Lord. And in that they hold treasures and nuggets for us as believers. 
we believe the whole Bible, both Old and New Testaments, are a revelation of God. And we're not going back under law, but we also believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's in Second Timothy. And Paul says right before that to Timothy, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. When Timothy was a child, there was no New Testament. All right, so part of uh, God's gospel comes through the grace that was expanded through the Old Testament and pointed towards Jesus. All right, so now just having qualified that, what do the feasts highlight for us then? As believers, what can we pull from it? What, what's significant or stands out that we should be paying attention to them? Uh, the one that we are the most familiar with. So when you talk about the feasts uh, in the Old Testament, there's two sets of them. One are the, the festivals that happen in springtime, like right now. Okay, we're rolling it out. And the same kind of calendar we're kind of operating off is, is happening right now. And then the second set is over here, the fall festivals, the fall feasts that took place in the nation of Israel. And so you have two sets of different feasts. In the spring set, uh, what you have is Passover, and then secondly, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the Waving of the Sheep, or the Feast of first fruits, and then you have Shabbat, or what we would know as Pentecost. Right? And then in the fall festivals, you have the Feast of Trumpets, you have Yom Kippur, and then you have Tabernacles. Right? So you have spring feasts and then fall feasts. And so, uh, <clears throat> the one we're most familiar with, like I said, is Passover. And I want to take us back to where we left off last week. Remember, we with Abraham and uh, talked about the significance of this moment in history. This was um, what we would call a living object lesson 2,000 years uh, be- before Jesus Christ came, where God used to point to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Remember, Abraham spoke so prophetically and God himself will provide the Lamb that it wasn't Isaac who covered our sin, but it was an illustration. Isaac got pulled off the altar and um, they found a ram, which was symbolic of the Lord Jesus himself. And so uh, this was a very, very important foreshadowing of Jesus coming. But there's a second object lesson from Israel's history. And that is the Passover, uh, Israel's um, being freed as a nation uh, from bondage in Egypt. And most of us know that story and have watched many versions of it. And uh, um, to me this day, Charlton Heston still fills that role. Okay, so there we go. Spin an era for you. How's that? Smile with me, Jim. <laughs> right. So when we're talking about Passover... Uh, If you take your Bibles and turn to Exodus uh, chapter 12, this is what Passover was supposed to be. So starting in verse 7, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 7, it says this, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs, with its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. 
and you shall eat it in haste. And the idea here was that judgment was coming upon the land of Egypt. And God said, I am going to strike the gods of the Egyptians. And I am going to give an opportunity for you to be covered. And here's how you will be covered. And so it was uh, called the Passover. And blood was put on the mantelpiece. And uh, the slide before. And what God says is, I will pass over you. I will, I will go over you. It says, it's the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so I want to just go back for a second and uh, go back to this. Um, when it's talking about Passover, what I want to point out here is that this wasn't uh, mandatory. They didn't have to. They could have said, I'm not going to do that to my doorpost. But if they did, then they weren't under the protection that the Lord was going to provide. And they themselves would be exposed to the same kind of judgment that the Egyptians themselves would be exposed to. And the question was, do you want to take that kind of risk? Or do you want to come under my protection and have me pass over you? And that question I want to suggest is the same question that God is asking us today. And so as we go to the uh, Passover, most of us know this as a Seder meal, right? Uh, for most of us, uh, probably we're familiar with it from Fiddler on the Roof, right? Anatevka and that whole deal. And, uh, that, but many of us here have been to Seder services. How many of us have been to a Seder service? Um, look around the room. A number of us have been, all right? When you go to a Seder service, what you realize is the incredible symbolism that God has designed in the event that telescopes to Jesus. I mean, Jesus is all through that ceremony. We don't have time to go in it, but just the lamb provided, which represents the Lord Jesus, the blood covering the doorpost, signifying we're covered and protected by Christ's shed blood, the matzah bread, uh, striped and pierced and unleavened, representing Jesus' torture and purity and, and, and many other such symbols show how deep, deeply Jesus' death on the cross is foreshadowed in the Seder service. All right? The bitter herbs they had to eat, which talk about the suffering. Uh, it's all woven through this. So if you ever get a chance to go to Seder, Seder service, I'd encourage you to do that. You will find all kinds of things come to life for you that you read before and went, I never knew what that meant. And then you go, oh, wow, really? <coughs> So, when it comes to Passover and the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, one of the first things that happened before Passover is the house has to be cleansed, has to be swept of leaven. Because leaven is what we would know as yeast. Right? So, leaven works in raising bread and doing all kinds of things and uh, baking and that sort of stuff. And so, they had to cleanse the house from leaven. And so, the mom would go through, cleanse the house, and actually... Uh, Mark's Blitz says this is where we get the term spring cleaning from, right? Because it's a spring festival and you clean the house in spring and you had to go through the entire house to make sure there was no leaven. Well, you might as well clean the house while you're doing it, right? And uh, so we get the term spring cleaning. But what they do is they go through the house, clean it. But then the mom would take a piece of leaven and she would hide it somewhere in the house. And then what would happen is the dad and the kids would go on what we'd call an elaborate, uh, you know, hide and seek kind of thing. And they're going through the house trying to find this piece of leaven. And as they go through the house, what they have is they have a, a wooden spoon, a feather, and then a linen bag. 
And so when they run to the house, kids, finally, when one of the kids spots it, dad will come over and he will take that piece of leaven and he'll take the spoon and he'll sweep it with the feather into, onto the spoon. And then once he sweeps it onto the feather with the spoon, he'll take that leaven, put it in the linen bag, and then they will take that outside. And outside is a community neighborhood bonfire. And all the neighbors are gathered together and they all take and they take the wooden spoon and the feather and the bag and they throw it into the fire. Signifying they are ready. They're cleansed. There's no leaven. There's nothing from the world attached to them. They are now cleansed and ready for the Lord's Passover. Right? So before Passover can begin, you have to get the leaven out of the house. And we'll tie more of this uh, next week uh, as we talk. But what uh, is woven into all of this is for us as Christians, Christians signifying the cleansing that took place by Christ's death on the cross. Right? And we can see the symbolism and it makes total sense to us when we think about it. It's all woven into the tapestry of the story and the symbols that God included in his feast. And what I want to say about that is that God does not throw things haphazardly. Some of us read the Old Testament and go, ah, whatever, read the New, okay, that's why I'm part. But you have to realize God knew the beginning from the end. From before the foundation of the world, he put these symbols together and they walk and they telescope and they roll out in such incredible detail that we should be in awe uh, of God, especially when we come to this time of year. Now let's go back to the Passover because we're talking about leaven, but the Passover is the idea that God would cover by shed blood, right? The blood on the mantelpiece, his people, so that when he came in judgment, they would be passed over. The angel of death would pass over. He would see the blood and pass over them. Now, let's step to the crucifixion. How does the Passover tie to the crucifixion? All right, here we have a picture of the crucifixion. If you take and turn to Mark 15, we're going to read in Mark 15. I want to show you something that maybe you've seen before, maybe you haven't. If you're not, this will be a, a new insight and something to consider and ponder. But they have whipped and scourged Jesus. They have beaten him. They have put the crown of thorns on his head. He has been judged at this point. He is now carrying his cross out. And pick it up in Mark 15, verse 20. It says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, I saved others, can't save himself. Let the Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, 
wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come down to take him. Or Elijah will come down to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. All right, freeze that picture for a second. You can tell the emotion in it just by reading it. What most of us in, in a Christian setting don't realize is the timing of the event. How the timing plays out. Mark Blitz, Blitz points out that when Jesus was hung on the cross, it would have been what we would, the Bible calls the third hour. We would know it as nine in the morning. Right? So the third hour is nine in the morning. And then it says from noon to three in the afternoon, there was a darkness that came over the land. So nine would be the third hour, noon would be the sixth hour, and then three would be the ninth hour. Okay? I had to make sure I had it right there in my own hand. All right? So you've got the third hour, the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour. So nine to three with darkness coming over the land at noon. What we don't realize is that was the exact timing when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed in the temple. So stop for a second and, and pull this apart. All right, so on the ninth hour, in other words, or in, I'm sorry, in the third hour, nine o'clock, I've got to keep this right myself. So at the third hour, that was the time as they were hanging Jesus on the cross when all the Passover lambs were being uh, herded, shepherded into the temple, right? For the Passover lamb. And then it says from noon to three, a a darkness came over the land. But the people in the temple would not have known that because there weren't windows in the temple and the temple was lit by lamps, right? So think about this for a second as we read a bit because it says in that account of Mark is that and when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, And we need to understand the significance of the moment. That curtain was not a flimsy kind of thing like you hang in a closet. That curtain was a a hugely embroidered, decorated. You can read about how it was woven. But it is said that it was so strong that two teams of horses pulling at each end couldn't tear that curtain in two. And so as we're standing there at three, when Jesus says it is finished and breathes his last... That temple is torn to, well, what's going on during that time? During that time, the lambs are being ready for the sacrifice and that kind of stuff. The high priest is now in the temple. Who is the high priest that, by the way? Caiaphas. Remember Caiaphas? Remember that name? Caiaphas was the one who prophesied that it would be better for one man to die than the whole nation to perish. He was also the one who demanded that Jesus respond to him under oath. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. It is this Caiaphas who's doing the Passover sacrifice for the Lamb. He is at that moment sacrificing the Passover Lamb on the altar in the temple. And think about this. He's completely separated from the events of Jesus. Jesus is on Golgotha. Caiaphas is in the temple. But at the moment when He sacrifices the Passover lamb. There's an earthquake that takes place and the curtain behind him is ripped in two. Can you imagine what you would have felt if you were Caiaphas 
And the holy of holies, which cannot, no man can walk into or see except once a year. The, and who is that the high priest could go into? Suddenly that curtain is ripped in two. Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the bewilderment? Can you imagine the fear that gripped him? Certainly nothing like that had ever happened before. Right? Not in the history of the whole nation. All of a sudden you sacrifice the Passover lamb and the curtain behind you is ripped in two. It says from top to bottom. You imagine what the sound would have been? Right? Something's up. What was up? The timing of the Passover, which had been prophesied 1,500 years and built into a festival, the timing played out exactly in terms of Jesus' death on the cross. Do you think that was by coincidence? Why is this important? It's important because it shoots to pieces those who say Jesus was just clever, smart guy, knew the Old Testament, orchestrated his death around the Jewish holiday to make it look like he was the Messiah by fulfilling the prophecies. I want to suggest to you they're right when they were saying it was orchestrated. It was orchestrated. But not only was it orchestrated, but immaculately and divinely timed. Finely woven and with intricate attention to detail by the Father Himself 1,500 years before the event ever took place. If you ever had to wonder, couldn't you trust God? Does God have history in His hand? Does He know the days of your life? And does He know where we're going? That ought to convince you where he can time his son's death by the third hour and the ninth hour down to the minute of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, which was woven into the feast of Israel. Such an event with such precision, it stuns even those of us who are believers. If you've never known that before, that ought to create greater awe when you come to Easter, when you recognize all that happened. That wasn't by chance or circumstance. That was woven into the story in the script 1,500 years before. When we talk about that, Scripture also says to us that we ourselves then, just like the Jews need to be covered by the blood, we also need to be covered by the blood. And I know in modern America that's an icky thing. Ugh. Okay, non-farming people don't get that. Farmers get it. I grew up on a farm. It's not an icky thing to me. All right? I understand it. But in Ephesians 1, if you go there and look there, look at what it says. It says, in Him, this is in the Lord Jesus Christ, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will. And look at the mystery of His will. Did the Jewish people have it figured out what all those feasts meant? Do we as Christians have it figured out what all those feasts meant? No, we don't. He's going to roll things out in history and in heaven we're going to go, Oh! And that's where the Bible says everyone will stand with awe and praise of God because we'll go, you've got to be kidding me. You thought that out too? Wow. We're just going to be stunned when we see the whole tapestry put together in one piece and he rolls it out. In the mystery of the law, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time and to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It says, according to the rich of his grace, which he lavished on us in wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It goes on. It says the Jews were covered. And when they were covered in Passover, they were brought out from Egypt. Right. They were brought out from under and brought out of Egypt. 
We are covered and brought out from the world and into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Amazing parallels there. When God looks at your life, the question is this morning is, will He see the covering? Not of the Old Testament Passover, which was a prototype or a type of what was to come, but of His Son who has come and has risen from the dead. Will He see the covering of His anointed blood over your life so that He will know that you are covered? Or will you be visited by the angel of death, as it says the Egyptians were? There's a warning. There's a time. You know, if you think about Oso, those people didn't have time to respond, did they? Right? And tragic, tragic deal. But you know, Jesus said, do you remember when Pilate killed a bunch of people? you remember when this tower fell? He says, you know, be careful lest you come under a worse fate. What is he saying by that? What, what do we take from something that's this hard? What we take from it is you do not know the time of your death. You do not know how long you'll be here. You do not know what next week will bring. We think we're promised not only today, but tomorrow and next week and the next 10 years and the next 30 years and vacations to Hawaii and Disneyland and we should get the whole enchilada. And then when I'm 99 and ready to croak, then I can go to heaven because I am promised that. And we live very entitledly, right? I'm entitled to that stuff. And as Americans especially, I am owed that. If you variate or deviate from the script, we have a problem, buddy. All right, I got news for you. The people in Oslo had no idea. They probably heard a rumble. They probably saw the water rise. And before they knew what was happening, they were swept away. Can that happen to us? Yes, it can. You ever watch that, listen to the radio, that TV commercial, riding in my car, beep, beep? Right? (laughs) It can happen that fast. And what Scripture encourages is be prepared, be ready. We talk about... um, being protected. I want to take you to another passage. I don't have it up here. This is Ephesians. Go to Romans chapter 3 real quick and look at this. It's a famous passage. You'll know it right away as I start reading. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, made visible. You can see it. Apart from the law, that's apart from the Old Testament. Doesn't mean the Old Testament is invaluable. It says he's offering something that's even more manifested. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. These feasts bear witness to what God plans to do all through history. They bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, that's a big word. We don't know what it means, but I would suggest to you, you do. We live in the Northwest, and yesterday was a soggy day. As a matter of fact, it was coming down different parts of the day. In the Northwest, I was uh, barbecuing, and Northwest is weird, and that's the only place where there can be sunshine and pouring rain at the same moment, right? And so... Uh, my daughter Abby came out of the, the, our back door and said, Dad, let me take a picture. So I'm standing there in drowning rain as the sun is shining off the houses behind me. So she takes a picture, sends it to my brother, and he writes back and says, does that mean you're a bright drip? I said, who cares as long as the hamburgers taste good, right? But the idea of pouring rain, you use an umbrella. I was using a big golf young life umbrella I'd had for 20 years, right, standing there. It was a covering for me, right? And this idea of propitiation is exactly that. God's propitiation, His covering. Have you come under His covering? If you don't come under the covering in rain, you get wet. If you don't come under the covering in terms of faith, 
you don't get passed by. The angel of death comes and visits you. And God is trying to warn us through the Old Testament feast. Hey, this was true for them back then. This is also true for you right now. Have you come under the propitiation of my son? Have you come under that covering? We know this in insurance terms. We get insurance. And if you want to get really well protected in insurance, you get what? An umbrella policy, right? And the idea of an umbrella policy is not for the things that you can predict. The idea of an umbrella policy is what? For the things that you can't anticipate. The things that are going to come your way that there's no foresight that you could have saw so that if the unmentionable happens, you are covered under that umbrella policy in terms of insurance. This is an umbrella policy not in terms of insurance, but of eternal life. Of faith in Jesus Christ where you come under that umbrella, you come under that covering in Jesus. And that event was foreshadowed not only by Abraham and Isaac, but also by the Passover. To Jesus' death on the cross. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus, and by the way, there's a lot of offers of salvation on the table these days. Right? There's lots of people shooting lots of different Gospels. But what you will hear here is that Jesus is the way to eternal life. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. That there is only one way to the Father. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we preach and that's what we live by. That's what our faith is by. It also says there's a point in the time man wants to die and then comes the judgment. Do you know the time of your death? This was to show, uh, Romans goes on to say, God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance that he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. And, you know, so we're coming up on Easter time. You say, Steve, why are we doing a, um, basically an altar call this morning? Well, it seemed right. It seemed right. If there's an offer on the table, we ought to see if somebody's going to take the offer. And so the question this morning is, do you know the Savior? Not are you in church, but do you know the Savior? Have you come under that umbrella, under that covering, that propitiation? Have you surrendered and come under his protection? You know, there's an authority issue there, right? You can be stubborn, stand out in the rain, say, I don't care, I'll get wet. Dig your heels and fine, I'm dripping wet, but I'm fine. Or you can say, you know what? I think I ought to humble myself and get under the umbrella, right? And, and you know, the Israelites weren't the only people who can be stiff-necked and stubborn, right? As Americans, we kind of have our share in that game as well. So have you placed your faith in Jesus this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and the people that are going to be up front this morning. We've got some of the elders and wives and they're going to be standing up front in different locations here this morning. And again, I want to just give you, uh, this is not a have to. And it, the service is not a failure if nobody comes forward. This is an opportunity. If in this season of time and in your dialogue with God, God's been bumping you, that you need to come forward and confess his son, then I would encourage you to come forward. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you. Don't worry about um, what they might think. Right now, at this moment, you need to be thinking about what God thinks and what he thinks of where you are and what he's asked you to do. And if he's asked you to come under his protection, then you need to come up and come under his protection. You, almost, you also might be at a place where I said, uh, you know the Lord. He's... Uh, you and him have had a relationship, but you're skidding sideways. 
you're just going sideways and you haven't been able to, to bring it back and you're sort of stuck there and, and you know you're just not getting out of it yourself, you may want to come up forward and say, hey, I need prayer. I've been the one that's been skidding sideways. I just, I just need somebody to pray for me and, and get some accountability going. You also may have a burden prayer. Something on your heart that just seems so overwhelming, you don't even know how to pray for it. Uh, it's troubled you. You've been there for weeks now, and you just need to share with someone else and ask for prayer help with that. Any of those three are appropriate this morning. What I want to ask to do this morning is just have you close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to pray. I want you to get in alone in your own space. What conversation have you been having with the Lord Jesus? Does any of it connect to this one? I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to have a minute or two of silence. And uh, if you feel a bump from the Holy Spirit that you're supposed to come forward, then have great courage, have great faith, come forward. And we'll wait for a few minutes, and we'll see who comes forward. And then when we're done with that, the worship team is just going to lead us right into the last song of the morning. So let's pray.